0: At some point between the 13th century and today, <laughs> yes. somebody said, this is boring. I'm going to do this instead. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Marching Arts Podcast, your guide to all things marching. Um we're happy to have you today. Uh, excited to to have a special guest with us. This is Dr. Meals. Um, he teaches at the University of Houston. He has had a long history in band, has taught at several, several different levels, assistant band director and professor of music education at Kennesaw State University. Also is a public school band director in Waller, Klein and Keller School Districts uh has an established history in the marching arts as both an instructor for numerous groups um, specifically in the drum corps international world the cavaliers santa clara vanguard and the boston crusaders as a visual designer um, as well as a visual designer for groups across north america he is a wonderful individual we're excited to have him um, me and james both met him when we started at kennesaw state university and um Boy am I excited to have this conversation with you, Dr. Meals. How are you?
1: I uh, I am well and thank you both for the invitation. It's it's awesome to get to see you again, and it's awesome to see you doing this project, like looking at the marching arts in a, a, a more in-depth way. Like it's it's really cool, and I'm excited to to chat with you guys about all things
2: nerdy pageantry arts. <laughs> yeah, I mean like <laughs> We just can't shut up about it, so we thought, like, why don't we just start a podcast where we literally give ourselves a chance to not shut up about it and invite as many people as we can.
1: Exactly, you are on the outside, what I am on the inside. This is a good day for that, right?
0: So, to kind of give us a little more of uh, introduction into yourself, mm-hmm. outside of just what the what a uh, bio says about you, you know. Kind of what people want to know: what got you into the marching arts? You know, um, as you like to say, way back in the day. But yes. what uh, what got you into the marching arts?
1: Back when dinosaurs roamed the earth. It's um, <laughs> ancient, ancient. I, I, I appreciate the emphasis on my long history in the activity. <laughs> um, so honestly, it's a really simple answer to a really complex thing. Um, and the reason why I'm in this yeah, at all, in in marching arts, and really music education, in a lot of ways. Um, boils down to my father. My dad marched in the Cavaliers in 1967, um, so many, many moons ago, and kind of had it in his head when he had a son, and I'm the firstborn of my family, that his son would also march in the Cavaliers. And you know, forever I was like, no dad, I'm not gonna be good enough. Or when I started marching in a little drumming people corps called the Geary Regiment, um, I was like, yeah, I mean, I, I'm better now, but like I can maybe make Phantom Regiment. I can never do the Cavaliers. Like that's not gonna happen, dad. And he cajoled me in 1997 to go out and audition and the rest, so to speak, is history. Um, I actually got cut from the core. My first camp, I was 14 out of 12 metal they were going to take, but I was advised by older people, it's like, just show up again. People, for whatever reason, don't come back because of money or whatever. You'll probably get in. And sure enough, I, I was, I believe I was number 10 out of 12. Um, that first year or so by the skin of my teeth but really it all it all comes back to my dad going you're gonna do this thing because i want you to do it i did it i saw value in it and clearly i saw value in it too because i have not left i they can't make me lead yet so it's um it's a good thing and i've had a lot of great teachers along the way but it all boils down to my father
0: Awesome. And I think that, James, that's a good point for us, because we, you know, uh, on a different episode, we talked about, um, you know, what brings people into band, whether it be they joined because of friends or they joined um, because of, you know, uh, personal, uh, uh, you know, what word am I looking for? A personal ambition. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But in this case, I mean, your your dad was like, you're doing this. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, but I guess it's legacy stuck. going. <laughs> And right? I mean, I, I know I'm kind of an outlier in
1: that because, mm-hmm. you know, having been a band director as long as I have, it's pretty rare. It's not not never happening, but it's a rarity to find people who are, are legacies, kind of to keep the tradition right. going, like James just said. And, you know, that's that kind of puts me in a, a weird place because I have these different set of expectations and different set of ways to interact with the thing, um, being marching in and the experience of it, than a kid who just wants to do it because their friends did it or did it because it's like, oh, this is something I can be good at that isn't really like I'm, I'm just naturally good at this and it's going to take me as far as I want to go. That's one way of interacting. I kind of came in with a little bit of the playbook knowing like, Oh, I should expect these sorts of things. But nonetheless, I was still molded and shaped by the experience in ways that couldn't be predicted or couldn't be, um, really kind of anticipated in a, what kind of kid am I going into this, even if with my father being the in loco parentis.
2: So with you like taking the legacy like all the way, like through the highest level, you could say of marching arts, like at what point were you, did your mentality switch from like I'm doing this because my dad wants me to and to where you're like, man, I really love this.
1: Honestly, pretty early on. Um, when So I'm <laughs> zooming back even further. I was in my high school marching band. Uh, the Titusville high school rocket marching band. Um, we can get in later sometime why they're called the rockets. Uh, <laughs> but their the colors of the school were brown and gold. Just kind of let that image marinate for you. Brown and gold marching band uniforms in the middle of Pennsylvania. Um, and so I was like, I was okay at that. Like I, I didn't, I wasn't terrible. And so I enjoyed that because it's was like, oh, this is something I can do that I'm, I'm better than other people at. So there's that aspect too. But then when I started to do drum corps um kind of when I was a little bit older I think I started when I was 14 and it was like oh this is a challenge this is this is hard but it's hard in a way that I somehow seem to be able to wrap my arms around so let's just keep doing it and see how far we can push and pushed it all the way to you know winning DCI five times um total in my career with Cavaliers uh winning INEs and doing all kind of not maxing out everything you can do but maxing out a lot of the things you can do in the drum corps activity never really touched indoor never really touched that side of things but as far as the outdoor you know band on grass aspect of things i was able to take it pretty far and it was due in large part again to my father
2: supporting me but also the great teachers i had along the way You just like awesome. nonchalantly like-, like brought up oh i won five championships as oh. if like anybody does <laughs> by the way <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'm very fortunate to have been with the cavaliers when i was
1: and i mean my first year we were seventh like that was the lowest we had placed since the 70s or early 80s and you know, to, to be a part of that transition too is formative, uh, like going from really not super well put together in terms of performance ability, because we had like 90 rookies out of one hundred twenty eight people in 1997. Oh. So that's a recipe for disaster right there, um, <laughs> that we were only seventh is kind of a, a merciful thing to winning dci you know back to back 2000 2001 and then going on staff in 2002 and and being part of that whole thing like it was a a diametric shift that was really interesting to watch and now looking back i can see a lot of the things that i take as an educator having shown up in my experience there as a performer that i kind of like backwards engineered to figure out how to set it up as a teacher too
0: and there's a lot of different ways that you can you can bend it i mean you know we've talked um Uh, before about how you know you can kind of classify in a way um, that in high school when you're first getting to or eighth grade depending on you know how it starts for you um, that marching band kind of at at that level is more of an introductory and then as you get into a um, your upperclassmen kind of, of, of range you're at kind of that mid mid level where you have to decide whether or not you're going to go into, into college to go to pursue a higher level. Um, and then thus, as we consider it, DCI being more of the professional level of, of marching, what, with your experience and everything that, you know, and your dad pushing, you get in involved and, and, you know, something that we both know you're very passionate about. (laughs) Um, what was a driving factor for you to, to stick at the collegiate level to win for education? So that's a really good
1: question. And honestly, I wasn't gonna be a band director at first. I wanted to be an English teacher. I love reading, I love books. Clearly I I like know too many words. So like all that stuff amassed into like, I wanna do English, I really like literature. But then I figured out how to teach grammar, and that's not really a, a starter for me. Like, I can't really diagram a sentence. My wife's fantastic at it. I am clueless still to this day. I have a PhD and can't do it. But <laughs> um, it was like, oh, but I like teaching. I like this mechanism of, like, helping someone get better at something and giving them information they don't have and watching them kind of have that light bulb moment. So I was like, well, what can I do with that? So I'll be a band director. And uh, the school I actually got into um, that I went to was Vanderkook College of Music, which interestingly does not have a marching band. Um doesn't even have a football team. It's attached to a school called Illinois Institute of Technology, which is a pretty big like STEM school on the south side of Chicago, right by uh, Comiskey Park or whatever they call it where the White Sox play now. Uh, maybe U.S. Cellular Field or yeah, know. it's wow. always gonna be Comiskey to me. Um,
0: you got it. <laughs> and so
1: that actually afforded me the opportunity to grow as a teacher in a way I wouldn't have if I'd gone to a, a Penn State, which is kind of where I'm from, an IUP in the University of Pennsylvania, or in the case of Georgia, a Kennesaw or a UGA, where you have this kind of built-in college marching band, which is supposed to give you the experience of learning how to teach marching band. But I think we all know that the difference between high school and college marching band is pretty drastic enough that it's not a true dip into doing the thing. It's a related activity that is for sure something that strongly connects, but is not a one-to-one you know, kind of comparison of like, I'm going to teach my high school band, like the red coat band that probably won't right. go so well or the marching owls or anybody else. And right. so I had a chance to go out and teach a lot there too. So that's really the formative thing of, I didn't want to be an English teacher. Music is something I enjoyed teaching something I really enjoyed. And when I got to my, my college, it was like, I just got to jump right in feet first and start teaching right away, which really lit the fire
0: in me to keep doing this thing. Well, and, and I think you brought up a good point, right? in, in the world one is not that one-to-one comparison. I think a lot of people um, um, at the high school level, when they're approaching the the point where they have to make a decision, if they're even going to go to college period um, is, uh, or if they can afford to, let's be, let's be real. Yeah. Um, the, you know, some people take their experience that they had with high school and associate that to any band that they would ever go to. Um, whereas in specifically, you um, um, I mean, especially in Illinois, right? You have a, all the local um, high school bands, but then they all funnel to the Marching Illini, mm-hmm. um, which is they're phenomenal, and and they have and and Barry their director, he's he's a great guy. Oh, Barry is wonderful. Yeah, I really. I, I I could talk to him for weeks. <laughs> oh yeah. I could listen to him um, like read a phone book. Like he's just great. Um, and it would be exciting. Um, it would be, I would enjoy that phone book. <laughs> uh, maybe we should try to get with Barry at some point. Um, anyway. Um, but one thing that definitely doesn't transfer, right. We talked about, there's a difference, you know, it's not one-to-one and mm-hmm. one of the things, and, and um, that, again, you have a lot of extra expertise in is marching techniques and styles. Mm-hmm. Um. And one of the things we kind of wanted to 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 kind of open up the discussion into this, kind of get us down into the rabbit hole. Um, why? So if marching band was developed, you know, back in 13th century for military purpose, and you know, right? All, um, why is there a need for different styles? Why did they exist? You know, where where did they come from?
1: Um, so I don't. I can offer a lot of kind of conjecture there, but that is an area of research that is criminally undersubscribed is the nice way to put it. Like nobody's really talking about it in a scholarly way because it's hard to trace, right? If there's a lot of like, you kind of peg the the 13th century to now. So we're dealing with like, right. like 800 and some odd years of history that we're working through, much of which is not written down. Like nobody's really writing down why we're marching like right. right we are. And in right. a lot of ways, the marching that we see now in in the modern era of pageantry arts, is is something that's arrived to because of differences in performance and differences in aesthetic preference versus a functional need for the most part. Um, so you've got you know your your typical bent leg and straight leg sort of paradigms exist in in DCI and in WGI in a lot of ways in groups that use that sort of thing. Then you'll notice there's a lot more dance now that doesn't look like either of those. Dance is kind of becoming more of a a vocabulary that's used more commonly in in marching bands, specifically high school, but also in, in drum corps and indoor. So you have that kind of continuum, that kind of like ecosystem there. But then you have things that are like Big Ten style, which is you talk about the Marching Illini, um, you've got Northwestern, you've got all the like Michigan and Ohio State, and they're all different enough. That you could say, well, that's Michigan and that's Ohio State, but they're all similar enough in the way they approach things and how they decide to convey whatever the shapes are that their style contributes to that, like how they do the thing. So like when Michigan goes out and they make, I think it's like their birthday cake thing at the end of their pregame and they get there using a high step action, that's actually a a factor, aesthetic factor. Like if we did that, if they did that in the way that uh, like any other band would do just regular roll step, it wouldn't be nearly nearly as effective. It's the same thing. Comes from that military background, so it's all about precision. And the more things you have moving, precision, the more impressive it looks. Um, so I think a lot of the variation we see stems from aesthetic choice and just kind of like things taken to their obvious uh, kind of extreme conclusion. So, for instance, the Cavalier style or the the Bentley style, which kind of really started with the Cavaliers in the early '80s, has transitioned to Santa Clara Vanguards using it now and several other groups. Um, came out of looking at the biomechanics of walking and going, okay, how do we make that look uniform? And how do we make that look controlled at various tempi? At the same time, in the early 80s, the cadets were coming up with their vocabulary that we see now that was cadets and then Star used it and then variations kind of moved on there and, you know, the right foot lead idea, but also the, the moving through the heel, which comes from the dance vocabulary of like actually how you move in dance. It comes a lot from that versus articulating all these joints. Um, so there's, people had thoughts about, I want this for this reason, and it just kind of grew on itself. It's very organic that way. And that's not even talking about things like the, the military style marching bands we have here in Texas, which they call traditional. Um, the six to five marching bands is, is kind of the, the way to think about that in terms of function. But then you have the show style bands, like HBCU and HBCU adjacent ensembles that kind of take a little bit from a lot of different places and then add their own element to it as well that again developed because of aesthetic choice, but also because of, okay, we start with this and then we just naturally let it progress. It's going to turn into the thing we see now, with no sort of rhyme or reason to why other than a plus B plus C equals Z by the end.
0: Right. And, and to kind of sum it all up in, in, in my, you know, my, uh, not as uh, uh, Educated brain. Um, hardly, <laughs> hardly. Is, hardly <laughs> <him>. <laughs> is uh, um, at some point between the 13th century and today, <laughs> somebody said, This is boring. I'm going to do this instead. <laughs> Basically,
1: that's, that's probably a pretty good way to think about it. And actually, there's, a, there's, a, and this, I will do this several times so you can edit it out if you want to, but I'll mention like, there's a great book about this. Um, it's not about marching men, uh, but it's about the way we look at history. It's a, a book by a guy named David Graeber and David when i think his last name is they're both economists um and one's actually david uh, Graeber was a uh, he was a uh, maybe an anthropologist or he was in that space and what he looks at is the development of society like um did we go from hunter-gatherers to like our current setting like as a obvious continuum or were there lots of back and forth and a lot of variation and what he contends is there's a ton of variation there was way more going on under the sun than we think there was but it never got written down so we don't know it I think the same sort of thing holds true with the development of, of marching band. Like we can trace a lot of what we see now to the late seventies, early eighties, when we moved from kind of the old school military style to the more expressive kind of abstract style that we see now. And I'll probably in about 10 years, we'll look back and go, yeah, right around 2012, 2013, they started doing more dance stuff. So it even went further there. And so I, I think you're hundred percent right. It just kind of somebody went like, I want to try this and it stuck and we're
2: here we are it's actually and, oh i just wanted to mention that you actually taught me something about the bent leg and straight leg thing i would just would assume intuitively they would have start with bent leg because that's how people usually walk but right only they start with straight leg so, yeah. some people i mean it, it was just it's again it's an aesthetic choice
1: and then like the blue devils kind of do something completely different that looks somewhere between the two and like and i only hold those up as markers because they were markers when i was when i was learning and marching I'm sure that things have changed that you could have a similar sort of conversation using different groups that do similar, similarly different. That sounds weird, but it's true. Similarly different things with the way they they move around on the field.
0: And and I think you brought up another you know good point is that a lot of places now, especially at the high school level, where at the BOA level, I should say, um, directors at that level are picking and choosing and and dividing and a lot of math in, in deciding on which form they want to use, how they want the, the, the foot to move uh, mm-hmm. um, on the floor, you know, whether it be WGI or on grass on turf. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I mean, there's no, uh, now that we're talking about, it, I really don't think there is a right answer about where, uh, where it came from. Cause uh, you could go in a million different directions. Um, but I think something, to, to kind of cover just as an opinionated Mm -hmm. standpoint from, you know, each one of us would be, you know, is there one that would be a favorite over the others or something Mm -hmm. that's more practical than the other. So to, and, and I can kick us off to kind of see where, Mm -hmm. you know, how we're feeling. Uh, For me personally, I love HBCUs. I love big 10 schools, chair stepping and high stepping to me seems like an almost unnecessary ab workout, but it looks really cool. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, um, but on the other hand, I like the bent leg style Mm -hmm. because it's easier to teach somebody that one than, than, than straight legging, but also, um, it's less fatigue on the body at first, um, Mm -hmm. until you get to a higher level. Um, so for me personally, I think that that bent leg style is probably going to be the better, uh, of the three options however there's probably a million others that we're not talking about
2: <laughs> there are indeed i'm sure what about you james uh i'm a stickler i guess for the old school just the straight leg, because like when you get that clean oh boy um like mm-hmm. even you get like company front like movements and they're all just nailing that movement together there's just mm-hmm. no better thing because like you, you do see that when you're listening. And like, I just feel that combination of just amazing sound and just that perfect movement. And I feel like with the bent legged, like, while that is the easiest to teach and easiest to learn, like that, it just adds a slight extra variability that you may not be able to get hundred percent clean, which you would be able to with a straight leg.
1: Right. And I, I think you both touched on really important points about the two kind of broad, vocabularies that depend like straight like thing um in that there's a trade-off right like Harrison you kind of mentioned it's like you you like the HBCU thing you you like the bent the the chair step but it's and it is hard like when I thought at University of Washington I was like I don't know how you guys do this thing like that the entire time it's
0: absurd it's (laughs) and uh,
1: and like they understood that it was hard like the the piccolos because they didn't have flutes in that band they just had piccolos like 30 of them um but that's too many they (laughs) They did well. They performed well. They were always like nails. But yeah, it's like there's a lot of piccolos. And they, they even do They're like, this is ridiculous, but whatever. Um, we get to go to football games. It's fun. But they had a saying, like their little show, like their their section shirt every year was like sexy knees at 90 degrees, because that's like the thing you look for in, in chair stepping. Um, right. and sometimes I'm like, yeah, that the 90 degrees isn't really working, guys. So I don't know how true that shirt is. They didn't like yeah. me on those days, but that, that is what it is. Um. But like you know, and James, you mentioned you know like when you get the straight leg stuff clean, how precise it looks and how and how crisp it looks. Um, so I think everything has a trade-off, right? I, I think it's it's the the problems that you want to take on, and it makes sense to where your students are as a teacher, but also where your program is developmentally. And so for me, I was up Harrison's mode view to to Bentley is it's the system I understand the best. I think it is the easiest to introduce. I think it's the hardest of the the two to clean like to make look uniform like you mentioned james it's just like it can always be a little bit fuzzy but when it's not it's it's absolutely brilliant but that's a hard thing to get to for high school students so for me the the marching style is used to be like harrison i'm like you i was like this is this is the thing we're gonna do bent leg. that's what we do for no better reason than that's what i'm most familiar with which is legitimate Mm. i can teach it better and that that makes a certain sort of sense but now in my you know elderly years, um, <laughs> I kind of see that the the marching style is a vehicle for what the ensemble needs developmentally, what's going to work for them from what their performances need to look like, but also like where the students are coming from. So like when I got to Kennesaw and worked with you guys, I knew that you had, a, you knew like the the general broad strokes of marching band really well. Like Georgia is a state that does marching band, very well. So I could start in a different place with you guys than I could with somebody who's from like, you know, a state that isn't as strong, you know, I won't even call anybody in specific, but there are states that are not as strong as, you know, your Georgia's and your Indiana's and your Illinois and your Texas's in terms of in Florida's in terms of marching band. So I would offer a different thing there. And there might be what is easiest to get clean versus what is the most sensible vocabulary for the you know, the the ultimate art piece of the marching man are trying to create.
0: Right, and to, to all all of that to say that uh, uh, you have not one favorite; you just like them all. <laughs> I, they're, they're like children. I can't yeah. have a favorite. No, I
1: I do. I, I really appreciate the the visual technique I was taught at the Cavaliers, um, which is the bent leg technique. But also, and and this gets if you want to go further into the weeds, I I can go there. I can go all the way down to the roots. Um, <laughs> This idea that, uh, let's say there's an eight-cut phrase. In some variants of straight-leg marching, they do a cheat step on count eight to ease the transition into the next phrase. And that changes the way the form looks when it gets finally gets clean. It changes the way the form looks on the transition. It has a slight kind of, not even flex to it. It's almost just a little like oozing into the next idea, which is just fine if that's what you want aesthetically. Personally, I like to complete one idea and start a new one. And so, you know, count eight is in the old direction, count one is in the new direction, because that, in my mind, equates to what's happening musically. We want to make sure the phrase ends before we start the next phrase, both musically and visually. So from a, like a, a a kind of cross-pollination aspect, I think that's the healthiest. But again, if the students aren't ready for that, then that's a a pointless exercise. You know, you wouldn't be successful in it, so it's not educationally sound.
0: And And I think that's a good point as well, right? You brought up you know transit and making the transition easier from you know kind of not necessarily rounding the corner for say but you know having the cheat step or the prep step as some people would call it um, um especially with going backward a lot of there's still mm-hmm. a lot of bands that'll right you know get up on the toes before they move backward mm-hmm. um but with all of that are you and and we've talked about different styles and and pivots and and relocating the body in the in the center of mass and and moving are there techniques that that we've talked about or haven't talked about that would be more beneficial physically to someone because i know there's a mm-hmm. lot of stress that goes into into band especially for those that aren't used to it um and so if, if you're listening to to this podcast and you're new to 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 Marching arts, is a lot of stress that goes on your ankles and your knees. Yes. Um, and and there's a lot of different ways people try to go about saying, oh, we'll do this and do that. But, um, Dr. Mills, for your professional opinion, um, is there one way that, you know, that you like to, to talk about transitioning between those steps or what what's less physically taxing?
1: So I mean, those are two different questions that have different answers. The first one, the what is my preferred my preferred way my my professional opinion, such as it is, is to fin- is to make what you're teaching as comprehensive across all domains of performance as you can. You want to have the fewest number of rules to teach the students for them to be successful. So if you can go, hey, we finish all our musical phrases, we finish all our visual phrases, doing the same thing we did all the way before the end of that phrase, then that makes sense. That educationally, to me, that just fits the most nicely together now again you have to kind of make a judgment about where your kids are if that's achievable and, and adapt from there but the other what is less you know physically taxing i'm not sure any of this is like you know i have a couple students right now that are doctoral students that come from the HPC world one went to uh, between cookman the other one to texas southern and they talk about actually the, the, you guys will remember this um, the very first game that Kennesaw ever played was against Edward Waters College. Yep. And the guy right. who was the band director there, his name is Kendrick Redding. He is now one of the band directors at Texas Southern, mm-hmm. and he is one of our doctoral students at University of Houston. So like that little sort of small world small thing. Small world, that, man. I know, right? Um,
0: Where we couldn't hear anything because of the flyover.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. But then halftime it's like oh it's a dance team it's they're doing the hpc thing we're like oh this is okay we're we're going to not look as entertaining now because that's always going to be more entertaining twice on sundays and all day long but all that to say i think every style has its its ability to impact us from a physiological standpoint so like the idea of repetitive stress injuries like we all know know about like carpal tunnel syndrome from typing too much but like i have tendonitis in both my shins from marching drunk or all those years. And I'm sure that there are students whose knees are just complete trash by the time they get done with college marching band (laughs) for a similar reason, no matter the style that they do, I think all of them, because they're repetitive, because we do them an inordinate amount compared to our normal walking, you know, kind of footprint for, you know, excuse the pun. Um, but like, I think because we do it so much, it's always going to be something that's stressful to our body to me, then it becomes a question of what is most ergonomically sound. And that's where I get back into the bent like thing. It just, that just makes the most sense to me from a, a, an ergonomic, a, like biomechanical, but also educational standpoint. But again, I claim my bias. That's what I was raised on. So I might not think that if I had grown up marching in the cadets or marching in, you know, Madison scouts or marching into blue devils or Vanguard back in the nineties. So, you know, it's, I, I can't say one's the best, but I can tell you my preference.
2: Yeah, just having that that psych degree, I would just say the less mental energy you're spending towards like putting towards putting your two front feet Mm -hmm. in front of you and like spending more time on the music, I think that just makes sense because yeah, after eight minutes or 12 minutes, however long your show is, you just want to put it all out there and as much focus you can put on, you know, the actual entertainment for the crowd, the better. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and
1: there's there's the idea of cognitive load and all of that, too. Like, how much are we asking of ourselves that's novel in these moments? And, and you want to reduce that as much as possible. Though, repeated exposure that we get through to rehearsal and performance is going to help that a little bit. You want to kind of give that a little bit better chance of taking hold.
0: And, James, I want to ask you a question. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't forgotten about you.
2: <laughs> oh, no,
0: don't worry. Because, um, so you did... Indoor, right? right? So we talk about we've we've, we've talked about uh, the repetition and, and just that that is mainly the stressor that stressor that people run into when it comes to fatigue and, and physical stress. Um, what kind of factors that play on for you? as Somebody did indoor, where it's a much smaller, uh, it's just as much movement, but it's mm-hmm. it's a smaller uh, area to cover.
2: Yeah, the areas. A lot smaller cover, but I would say the tempos are just always higher in indoor shows, just because we can literally play faster, because um, mm-hmm. you're playing with right. your hands instead of you know with your face. Um, but also, you have to realize what? that certain programs they can't afford as nice floors, um, so like slippage is a factor, the weight of the floor is a factor um like how old the floor is because you might be reusing a new uh old floor from five years ago that you just keep paying over and over and over um mm-hmm. and then i was somebody who marched win all my life and then senior year i was like i'm gonna march indoors so i marched symbols, so that you had to learn plie steps crabbing um a whole different backwards marching style too so i did end up uh what's the word what's the term when you like bend your knee backwards <laughs> Hyperextending, oh, yeah that yeah one. I did that to ah, me yeah. twice that year and I still feel it to this day but I don't regret mm. it because uh we won SAPPA. so <laughs> I guess in that <laughs> in, in that culty mindset it's like we won so um but you gotta, yeah you gotta
0: give something to earn something right
2: so <laughs> it did take me almost that entire block of when we started camp in I want to say end of November up to first competition in February I want to say. At, like half of my energy was just spending am i actually doing the correct marching technique as opposed to just music and at least i was a senior at that point so music at that point it was like i learn it and like if i'm if i'm moving i i it just it's just secondhand to play and move at the same time so that was a really good um transition for me but yeah uh you incoming freshmen don't think that just walking and playing is super easy like it it does take probably at least a full season for you to be like, yeah, I can move and play and not like spend as much energy as you think you are just moving.
0: Absolutely. If you've, if you've never had to do, uh, Oh man, I'm trying to remember an analogy you used uh, Dr. Meals. We back into oh my Lord. memories. My memory is failing me. We had this conversation before we started. I got it. I got to hurry up and get older. So my, <laughs> uh, uh, my memory gets better. Wow. Um, oh man but if you've never tried to juggle while skipping and Mm -hmm. trying to rub your stomach at the same time, uh, (laughs) you're going to go cross-eyed and, and don't assume walking in, you're going to be phenomenal. Um, You're going to make mistakes. All of us still make mistakes to this day. Um, Mm -hmm. You're you're never, never going to be perfect. (laughs) Um, And there's not one right way to do it, but, listen to, listen to your staff, listen to your, your Mm -hmm. leadership. If you are in leadership, don't steer people wrong. (laughs) Um, and, you know, set, set people up for success. Um, which James, you brought up a point about, um, how important the floor is and and how much of a factor that can play in indoor, um, and the field for football and outdoor marching man is, is no different. Um, Marching on a black top is a lot different than marching on turf. They're equally as hot. One is softer than the other. Um, but in the same token, turf is completely different from grass because grass, you're going to have spots that aren't completely flat. You're going to have you're you know, if you're for your halftime, you're going to have to deal with football players that just dug a hole in the, Mm -hmm. (laughs) in, in the dirt with their cleats. So, um, i wanted to bring this point up i i, I have it here as, as a discussion point but i think it'll be very quick um is uh wear the right darn shoes mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> what are you saying uh, no flip-flops like come on there's always that one person like nah i can do oh, yeah. flip-flops
0: i can do it yeah i can, yeah. I can do it chacos Oy. D- drive me crazy <laughs>
2: <laughs> at least they're making
0: an
1: attempt at being something appropriate but still very far away
0: but but the, here's the thing about it though they're wearing the chacos because they want the chaco tan <laughs> they're oh, not they're yes. not wearing it for support or trying to halfway be oh, no. between a sandal and a shoe they just want the tan lines i which, will say
2: which, lead by example band directors because my high school band director every single band camp for basics he would always show up wearing flip-flops and he's like say do what I say not what I do and then he'd show us how to march in flip-flops so all you band directors out there just wear darn shoes I mean, and there's a there's a certain amount
1: of like I can do this because I put in my time
2: that you have as a band director it's
1: like I had the worst I had the, the sock tan I still have it actually like I'm 42 it's permanent like yeah, yeah I can it's like, I can tell that I hasn't seen a lot of sun down there um but, you know, like the, the idea that, you know, do as I say, not as I do is really appealing because it lets you get away with stuff as a teacher that you couldn't get away with as a student. But to me, that's like a developmental stage. Like we have to move beyond that at some point or completely own it and make it ridiculous so that it becomes not a moment of cognitive dissonance in the kids. It's a funny thing that a teacher does. And then we just focus on the stuff that's actually important in this case, learning how to move in the way that you're supposed to. But if i could throw in something for any incoming freshman um whether they be college or high school um the thing to remember is that everyone was a beginner once and you don't remember what it's like to be a beginner because your brain automatically blocks out negative, like super negative stuff like James, with your psychology degree, I'm sure there's, there's formal names for this stuff. But we all know from experience, we tend to focus on the positive, we tend to, to mitigate the negative. Um, in a lot of ways, that's why people have more than one kid. Because when you're raising them, you forget what it's like, just one to three. Uh, and that's why you want to have more. So um, you know, something to remember is you will not be good at it at first, And if you are, it's because you're just naturally gifted. So embrace that and enjoy it because it's not going to happen every time you do something new, but if you aren't good at it, that's not a mark that you shouldn't be doing it It's a mark that you maybe need to ask for help, which is a hard thing to do, but a good step for us all to take, but also you just need more experience, like the doing of the thing is what can set you up to be successful more. That's why second years are so much easier than first years in almost everything we do for more than one year. So just a a point of advice that I've said many times, I will say many more times everyone has been a beginner. There's whole fields of religion and and philosophy built on this idea of having a beginner's mind and looking at things as new and looking at things as fresh and as ready to be embraced versus, oh, this is something I'm not going to be good at. So that kind of growth mindset versus a fixed mindset is a really helpful thing to bring to the table in an otherwise awkward, you know, new experience.
0: And also, you know, to that point as well, if you're in a position where you're, you get to work with the incoming freshmen or the first years, if you're, you're going to refer to it that way, um, you know, if you see someone that's having an issue, right? If you're a new leader, there's, there's, they don't, they're not a bad person because they don't know it. You just, ha- you have to help them a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, but help them to, to where they're comfortable with you helping them if it don't make them uncomfortable by helping them right um, don't be like i want
1: to just by yourself in front of everyone because you're bad at it like that's probably not the best way to get someone to want to come back on
0: day two right um and 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 but spend the extra five minutes to, to re-explain something or if they're telling you hey i just don't understand that I'm supposed to plant my foot and then meet the other foot. I don't, this, 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 I don't get that. Take the extra five minutes and try your best. And if you can't at that point, then, you know, try seek help for yourself as well. See if there's mm-hmm. something that you can try to be open-minded uh, uh, to, to offer that feedback and suggestions. Um, and then also people on the receiving end of that, if they're offering you suggestions, they're not mad at you. They're just trying to help you.
1: dude <laughs> Exactly. And there's a the, a quote that one of my teachers um, here at U of H back when I was a master student said, uh, since Eddie Green, he's kind of like the OG band director in Texas. One of them, there's several, but he's one of the big ones. Um, but he said, you know, there's no such thing as criticism. It's all information. Nothing I tell you is personal. It's all information to make you a better musician, better, whatever we're talking about, I'm trying to make you better. So if it feels personal, remember that I explicitly try to not make it personal And if it still feels personal, let's talk. But otherwise, just know I'm trying to make you better. And if I'm being direct about it, it's because we don't have a lot of time. And that's really all it boils down to. So, yeah, that's a really good point. Like taking that and extending it to everybody's a new leader is new at being a teacher. And so just like a beginner when you're marching, you're going to be a beginner teacher. And maybe you're good at it, maybe you're not. But if you're not, asking for help is the surefire way to get better faster. I
2: think like just bringing up the whole this may not apply to high school necessarily but there are still people who move in high school but like in college there's lots of people that may move from across the country and the terminology is oh so very oh, different yes. like just personal story with dr meals he came in and saying soup to nuts soup to nuts to everything and everybody's like what is going on why is this What's man right so like <laughs> why are you talking about food? Here? exactly so like just don't assume that you know what somebody is saying just like ask and like mm-hmm. just just try to be as communicative as possible
0: well, then also to that, to the same point, back to Kennesaw, we're we'll continue the same line. Dr. Mule's love. And then we had Dr. Harris. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Dr. Harris said, talked about things totally different. Um, um, and then after Dr. Harris, we had Dr. Shivert, um, who threw us all for a loop because he came from Iowa. Um, so he started talking in North, South, East, West quadrants. We're used to talking about Waffle House and the transit lot. Mm-hmm. So. He started talking about that, and 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 the band was incredibly confused. I and I remember having to sit down with him in the office in in the the thirty three hundred five building, and and talking to him about, hey, um, oh yeah, no one knows that. <laughs> Nobody knows uh, what North is. What are you talking about? I was I was like, if it's if it's side one, you're gonna call it look to Waffle House. <laughs> mm-hmm. If it's side two, you're gonna call it look at the Transit Lot, and that didn't work that i tried to it's and and in hindsight that i sat there as as a drum major trying to tell a a, a doctorate how to explain a marchie band so i i how rude that is now well it's, it's not <laughs> rude
1: though i mean no, i and, and i i think even even you know any of your instructors would be like oh i'm i'm it's hard because we're used, we're hardwired to think about certain things, certain ways. I'll be honest. Like I grew up in, in Pennsylvania where the roads aren't. So like this idea of Cardinal directions really didn't make sense to me because we were following old cow paths and old like stream beds. And that's where the way our roads were set up. Georgia's similar. It's like, there's not a lot of like grids, but if you ever drive through like Iowa or Nebraska, they are still counting like 143rd street, 30 miles outside of Des Moines. Like there's nobody out there, but it's 143rd street. Um, so like that idea of a grid makes so much more sense. So it's it's contextual. I think you're 100% right. And like when I was teaching in Texas, we'd be like, at, at Waller, the last school I, I taught high school band at, um, like one way was like face buckies, which is like our giant, you guys have them now in Georgia. Oh, all. yeah. Um, they hadn't oh, built it man. yet. We knew it was coming. So that's like, that's where you look with Bucky's, And then you look at the football stadiums the other way to the point though, that when I, I wrote for, for the university of Michigan for a couple of years, um, cause my friend John Pasquale, he's the athletic fans guy there. and He's fantastic. They have a very specific system. They use similar to what you talk about, um, where it's like, I think side one is like white house and side two is some other word that's like distinctive to their rehearsal field. And they actually want you to go into PyWare and put those designations on the coordinate sheets
0: <laughs> that students receive because that's, oh, no, that's what they know. Way. And I was like,
1: oh, OK, I'll just do it. It's too But like <laughs> that sort of thing can be enshrined that way. And that's totally legitimate. But again, it's understanding, reading the room and knowing like, OK, I'm going to adapt what I do and meet you halfway or you're going to do this because it's really not that big of a deal.
2: I can't wait to read the comment section to see how many people are like, y'all are crazy. We just use cardinal directions and everybody else is piling and like, what are you talking about? Right. And, <laughs> and there's there's this
1: whole thing of like, it's the soda versus pop versus Coke conversation, just writ large, right? We all call it something different. Um, so it's it's just a question of where you come from. And that can probably tell us a little bit about what we might call soda marching band stuff. People from Iowa clearly use cardinal directions, <laughs> which is effective um, and efficient if you know what they are and what, right. how that works.
0: Well then, so, you know, we're talking about cardinal directions and, and, and all, do we spend enough time in basic block? Is it, is basic block? Is the, is there enough time in the world? Million dollar question. I mean, <laughs> you know, this is
1: something that I don't think anyone's quite figured out yet. I think there are some people that have like a, a pretty good idea of how it works with their kids. But as a general rule, I don't know. I don't think there is enough time that you can spend in basic block. But I also don't think there's enough time you can spend applying those skills in basic block to something more complex, which is you know the drill or, or whatever we're doing. And so I think it's finding that that shifting balance of like at the beginning we're to spend more time working on fundamentals and then really focus on applying them, and over time. We do less of the fundamentals and we do more of the application until it comes to, okay, you just need a reminder about what the the fundamentals are and the rest is application because you've done it so much, you don't know how not to do it wrong. So, you know, I I think there's probably a formula in there that looks a lot like a lot of other motor learning paradigms, but I don't think anyone's quite cracked it to like on day 47, we're doing 36% this and blah, blah, blah. I don't think anyone's quite there yet.
0: (laughs) I mean people hate basic block and and and, and see i know. love it like i i
1: i love i love like ensemble fundamentals like when we're doing like music stuff like okay. i love daily drills what we call it here in texas um, but i also love basic block because you get to work on the skills and make them so good in such a focused way that to me that's that's almost meditative
2: in a lot do, of ways like, you, love, you get to just do you love teaching them or do you like like actually marching in the basic block <laughs> Honestly, both. Like, honestly, oh, okay. like I would
1: like I was I was a big fan of the drill downs when I was in high school. Um, we used to do a thing. I think I made you guys do it once or twice when I was at Kansas off Diamond Basics, where like you go yeah. four people to a hash. Um, it's kind of brutal, but I, I didn't love it at the end. Like I didn't love it when we were an hour in and I was tired. But I did see the value in it because like everything we do makes sense to something that's going on in the show or some like a skill we need to, to to develop more to make this easier. So I saw it as a lot of like, I'm gonna dig in here so that I can see the rewards later. But by no means was it like something I woke up on every day and was like, I'm really excited to do basics today. Not really often, <laughs> no. But I did see the value in it. So I guess for a 17 year old to be that way is not bad, but yeah. yeah.
0: I just, I don't know. For, for me, when I started, I thought basic to block was a crime. <laughs> <laughs> oh, totally. But then when I, but then as I got into college I was like ah I get it. <laughs> it's like it's a thing. I got it. We need do to do it. more of it. People get sloppy.
2: <laughs> Man, you aren't kidding. I don't know. I like to say that like I think <laughs> our first ever parade um at KSU I still started on the right foot instead of my left foot and somebody else had called me out. Never mind being in leadership and never mind doing marching band for yeah. like 5 years at that point. So that was funny, but I guess like just a personal rule in life is then like always spend 20 minutes on something and like after that 20 minutes you're just gonna start to see a very noticeable degradation so if Mm -hmm. it's like work and you're working on a project just spend 20 minutes and then like take three minutes to close your eyes or just do something completely different Mm because that 20 minutes seems to be like that 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 magic time for efficiency right
1: like we've kind of got
2: that that area of focal attention that we actually get right. something out of. And then you hit that,
1: that point of diminishing returns real quick afterwards. Um, it's almost like a, it's, it's kind of a variant of the Pomodoro technique, if you're familiar with that. Like where you set up, like it was literally a, I think it started out in Italy as a tomato based timer, which is why it's called Pomodoro, like the kitchen timer of oh, okay. 25 minutes. And it was shaped like a tomato. Um, and they would just turn it 25 minutes. You work 25 minutes, you take a five minute break. You do that over and over again there's a decent amount of support for that being a good productivity paradigm, because like you said, James, you kind of, you, you kind of cut the green wire on the, the 20 minutes of my brain turns to tapioca by putting that break in the middle. And then you can get more done over a long period of time.
0: Tapioca is good. Oh, tapioca's <laughs> yeah. delicious. Except when it's in my brain, then it's not good. Uh, no, it's not great. Um, so to kind of, um, kind of push us, push us along here to um, um for you as an individual, you, so mm. in your uh, 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 seasoned career, <laughs> as, I think and, like steak. Hey, steak's good too, man. Steak is good. <laughs> and you're in Texas, so I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have two 12 pound briskets in the freezer, along with a pork roast and some ribs. So yeah, I'm I'm in good shape over here. Come on, I already had dinner. Don't make me have second dinner. I mean, you know, temptation is a wonderful thing, James.
0: <laughs> just don't turn your brain to tapio. Yes. Um, for you personally, if mm-hmm. you if you can think of one, what is your biggest embarrassment for your marching career? Hmm. Biggest. That's that's the tricky part. Or just a or just a, a, or just one that sticks out.
1: Um. So there's two, and they kind of bookend my my drum corps experience. Um actually there's three and they, they actually do they bookend midpoint and end my drum corps experience so when i was starting out in the Erie regiment a little bitty drum corps in erie pennsylvania which is as small as it sounds um i made the mistake of wearing silk boxers once doing all their saturday day drill rehearsal i was like 16 i didn't know i learned very quickly that that was a bad idea so that's I'm kind of embarrassing thing. point number one yeah that's. I don't know i mean it was the 90s so like silk boxers were a thing i don't know why i was also in western pennsylvania where like trends are about 10 years behind everywhere else so that was not helping things either so that's kind of embarrassing point number one that's that's flag post uno um in the middle uh in 1997 my first year marching the cavaliers we had a actually no it was 1998 um actually two things 97 and 98, I have stored for each. 97, we had, it was a 7-4 section in the closer of the Firebird. That was the show that year. So the the kind of the finale, the beam, bump, bump, beam, bump, bump, beam, bump, bump, that whole like end of, of, of the Firebird suite. There was a, a move where I was in the front of a line that was going from a diagonal facing this way to a diagonal facing this way. So it was just kind of flipping and orienting itself. I was going backwards across the front of the field, like four steps behind the front sideline. From a yard line to splitting the next yard line, so it's bigger than a seven to five, more like a six to five. Backwards, fast in Allentown, Pennsylvania, which is one of the oldest, most august drum corps stadiums, but also the absolute worst trash grass. By the time we got there, ever. Um, Jay Bernie <laughs> Crone is the name of the stadium, and, and she is she is fickle. She will she will she will rob you blind if you let her. Um, and so I fell. I was just like legs went out underneath okay. me, went horizontal to the ground, bam, um, in Allentown in front of everyone. So I was super embarrassed. Fast forward the next year, we're in, I think it was Terre Haute, Indiana, or somewhere in that part of the state. Uh, we had a move where we had a diamond that every other line went back and they called it the trickle down. Basically the second to last call, the second last row goes behind and basically turns a diamond into a triangle that's moving forward. Uh, it's one of those old classic, like Steve Brubaker Cavaliers moves. And that was going at about 184. And I was surrounded by like sousaphone or contras at that point. Um, and I had like a little mellophone and I just like bit it. But I had contras running at me backwards. So I was like scrambling on my back, looking like a turtle. Um, and that was 1998. Um, fortunately, not in time but still embarrassing. Fast forward to uh, 2000, 2000, actually 2000. And it was finals. It was in College Park, Maryland, and there's a the beginning of the second movement for, for the show that year, we um, rippled out of the, the closing set of the opener and had to kind of land on a spot, like did a little alien twerk thing and then landed on the spot. For whatever reason, my, my center of gravity was off. And so you can see me on the video. They're panning by as this happens. Like we were supposed to start waving back and forth to look like seaweed because it was Niagara Falls. I, I don't know if it actually worked, but that's what we were told to do. And... I like i wave too hard and like you can see my like go and then come back and i'm just like oh and then what i do when we have another move that's like a, a body move i'm about two steps out of my spot too so i like take a giant step back and another giant step back and fix myself but again embarrassing because it's finals it's dci if i had not done that maybe we wouldn't have tied with the cadets i don't know
2: oh we'll never know <laughs> well have to i check know the multiverse
1: we will we'll have to look we'll have to go ask you know stephen strange to open things up for us and let us look around or
0: or you know youtube
2: yeah, <laughs> also that too all right so with that said you got any plugs for us any plugs for yourself uh, or any mentors plugs, you show plugs
1: um i mean i'll be honest like the the marching band thing i it, my my contention is anyone that is really familiar with one kind of marching band needs to go out and learn about a different one so, if like you're in in the Atlanta area, you don't go to the Honda, and you're not from HBCU, you're missing out on a massive opportunity to learn more about this this broad thing, this this culture that is marching band. Um, same thing if you're HBCU and you've never seen a BOA show or never seen DCI, you need to go check that out because they're doing really good things. It's not the same as what you do, but that's not a bad thing. It's just a thing. You know, th- there's nothing good or bad under heaven. It's thinking that makes it so, and that's. That's no. that's, that's the way we need to approach the world. I think because the one thing that we're seeing is our, our country, I mean, not to get too grand, but there are more, we see more divisions than we see unified unifying agents. And the one thing we know about marching band is that it's a culture unto itself. It has norms. It has expectations. It has, as a, a very smart scholar says, a collection of, of social acts and social facts that define it. But if you put like an HBCU person in like, let's say, say someone from Morehouse and put them in the band at Kennesaw, they'll go, okay, this is a band, but it's a very different band that I'm used to and same vice versa. So not that you should go out and like try and learn someone else's, but you need to be aware of it. You need to be a fan of it because it's entertaining. It's just different. And so that'd be my, my contention. Anyone who knows one thing really, really well, needs to go see something that is the diametric opposite and appreciate the differences, but also the similarities. Um, But the other thing too is just keep doing it like the one thing we know about marching bands is that they are the largest and this is something that i've not seen disproven they are the largest recurrent ensemble that exists in all of music in the world so everything else that's bigger than that tends to be like a festival like you see these videos out of um some kind of eastern european countries that have a very strong choral tradition about a thousand people in an auditorium singing but that's not something they do every year it's like A one-off kind of festival thing whereas a marching band it's like we do this every year we have like if you're in the case of allen high school here in texas you have 750 kids in the marching band every year if not more and so this idea that we're in this organization that is committed to creating something that is unified for many is interesting that we have this organization that is a social nexus unto itself is interesting And that we have this way of understanding how to operate in groups and on teams that is a very non-direct way of doing that is hugely valuable in our current setting of remote work and coming back to the office and like not remembering how to be in society anymore. I don't know if you guys experienced this in Georgia, but we're experiencing it hard in Texas. We're finally out of the survival part of the pandemic and we're starting to get into the, how do we deal with all the stuff that happened? And a lot of us just don't remember how to be in society we don't remember how to be in groups anymore and things like marching bands specifically but music generally are a beautiful gateway into that that is just an easy thing to cross for us as as performers but also as people because it taps into the things we do and value naturally as human
2: beings all right thank you dr Mills so much for joining us on this podcast today i think you're information slash you know just the way you talk is just so smooth and charming i don't know like anybody could listen to it for hours on end but uh, sadly we'll end our call here today um so (laughs) again this has been dr meals with uh the university of houston talking with us on the marching arts podcast um don't forget to follow us on all of our socials at the marching arts pod that's pod uh it's on all of our socials so facebook uh youtube reddit twitter instagram the list goes on and on but uh yeah thank you so much for listening and this has been the marching arts podcast your guide to all things marching.